0: Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor, because stories bring us together, and together we all win. Today's episode is about the unusual and heroic career choice that Liz Vaughn has made. Liz graduated from Duke University School of Nursing and immediately began her nursing career at Duke University Hospital. For two years, Liz was a pediatric float pool nurse, spending time in the intensive care wards and pediatric bone marrow transplant unit. She currently runs the medical component of Bright Path Behavioral Health's partial Hospitalization Program, and also runs an outpatient office clinic seeing kids from birth to age 21. She lives in the Raleigh-Durham area with her husband, Nick, and her cat, Cosmo. Great to have you with us today, Liz. Thank you, it's great to it was great to be here. And- so you have made a really unusual career choice. What inspired you to become a nurse?
1: So I always kind of wanted to do something in the medical field uh, growing up, and then uh, late high school, early college, um, ended up going more with elementary education and I ended up teaching kindergarten for two years, Um, had a lot of kiddos with different developmental disabilities. And that kind of just brought me back to the medical field. Um, So ended up um, leaving the teaching profession and going back to school to get my prereqs and uh, going back into, into nursing.
0: Wow. So you were teaching kindergarten and dealing with children, who were having difficulties, and so that is kind of what drew you in.
1: Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, growing up, we've had um, a couple of different families that we were uh, that we were close with as a family who've had kids with various medical needs and coming in and out of the hospital, um, and so that kind of initially piqued my interest, and then yeah, it always just kind of stuck with me since.
0: That's really interesting to me because most people. Who had someone close to them spend a lot of time in the hospital want to go away from that, but you wanted to go toward it. Why do you think? Why do you think that is?
1: I think that I saw in the front lines people who were helping. You know, my family, other families that we knew in those really hard moments, and in a way, kind of wanted to give back um, and be that person for someone else. Um, and then just also seeing, um, yeah, just kind of overall what a difference people in the healthcare field especially can make. Um, and in pediatrics especially, everyone kind of always will say, Oh, Pede's like I could never do pediatrics. And I always kind of joke back that I could never do I could never do adults. <laughs> so pediatrics has always been my thing. <laughs>
0: Why do people say they would never do pediatrics? What do they mean?
1: <laughs> they I think the emotional side of it. And, you know, how can you, you know, see, you know, especially when I was working in the ICUs um, and in bone marrow transplant, how can you see these kids, you know, be that sick and, you know, going through all of that and still be okay with it, um, you know, and be able to go home at the end of the day. How can you, (laughs) you know, some days were harder, you're harder than others, but I think seeing the end results, especially, you know, in bone marrow, we get these kids who were n- never were given another option by so many other hospitals and they came to do because this was kind of their last option um and then seeing them go through transplant and you know get as sick as they did and then kind of turn that corner and get better we always do a confetti party um, whenever they were leaving the unit so all the nurses and staff and parents and patients would line the halls and throw confetti as they were going out just kind of just like this big um, milestone that they all looked forward to they saw you know coming in for transplant and they all kind of had the spot of i want you know we want that um so having you know those moments and seeing the kids that do well i think kind of keeps me going and especially now in a little bit different in the mental health fields um in the outpatient setting you know very similar just, you know these kiddos have a lot going on but now getting to work with them long term And kind of seeing their progress over time and, you know, seeing them completely evolve into, you know, the better version of themselves has been really rewarding.
0: So you get, you gain a sense of fulfillment and happiness from seeing them achieve their goals, from seeing them regain their health and seeing them now regain their mental health and be able to achieve the things that they want to achieve. But what about you? Aren't you working like really long hours?
1: Yeah. Um, so as a nurse, uh, usually we did 12 hour shifts, 12 um, hour shifts on the floor. So, you know, seven to seven, but that meant we were there usually 630, 645, getting ready, starting report. And then after, you know, handoff ended up being 730 or so at night or in the morning, depending if you were working days or nights, a lot of rotating shifts. Um, now my schedule, um, one of the luxuries as a nurse practitioner, practitioner now, you know, something that we kind of had looked forward to was a little bit more of the normalcy. Um, I'm super lucky with my current position. Um, I have some pretty great bosses that are very focused on self-care and promoting kind of, you know, practicing what we're teaching these kids. Um, And so I work um, three longer days and then half um, of a fourth day, but I have a day and a half off um, each week to kind of regroup and you know catch up on you know things that I need to do uh, so it's a good balance
0: that sounds great but you've only been doing this for for about a year right mm-hmm. and yeah how many years previous were you on this other superhuman schedule
1: <laughs> I started in August of 2014
0: right so it was oh just about gosh. six years six years yes that's off I just when I think about most people would just never do that you're a really special person.
1: Thank you. I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those things in nursing that we don't really, you don't really think about. And now really mm-hmm. while well, you're in the moment, but I think more so for me now looking back at it and was like, wow, yeah, that was, that was really rough. <laughs> um, but in the moment it's just what you do and, you know, the rotating some days, you know, some weeks you're working day shifts, some working, some weeks you're working night shifts, some weeks you're switching in the middle of the week. Um, but you just figure it out. And you like,
0: wow, aren't you like exhausted and angry and like, <laughs> in a bad mood and stuff? Like, how do you show up and, and take care of these kids that need your patience and your compassion? How do you do that day after day?
1: You know, I think it's the kids that really kind of keep, that kept me going, especially on the harder days, you know, with you know, you're on your third day of the week and, mm. you know, a lot's going on. Um, I think the perspective piece was such a big part of getting, you know, me through the days. And I could leave, you know, at I was there for 12 hours and 730, but 730 came around and I could leave. Um, but these kiddos and their parents couldn't leave. They didn't have the option to leave. Um, they were there for, you know, weeks, months, Um mm. Almost so we had a couple kids that were there for just over a year at a time, um, and so they didn't get to go home and they didn't get to you know kind of shut their brain off after those you know three twelves. And mm-hmm. so I think knowing um, yes it was hard, but there's um, there's a lot more on the other side that um, could be a lot harder. So well, thank goodness for all
0: the rest of us that you feel that way because I'm telling you. <laughs> You are a very unusual person, um, in a wonderful way. Um, so when you were working that six years and, you know, did you have any kind of a self-care routine that you did to just kind of keep yourself in equilibrium or did you not even have time?
1: Um, I think the that first year of nursing was just kind of, um, survival mode. Um, you were figuring out so many different things. And you think coming out of nursing school, you're like, yeah, like I just graduated from Duke nursing school and I know it. And you get to that first day and you're like, I actually know nothing. Uh, (laughs) And so it was just like learning everything that you in fact did not know um, and kind of getting your foot, your feet planted on the ground. And then um, really in that second year, um, you kind of then start getting a little bit more comfortable and um, confident in, in the work part. Uh, I think the big pieces for you know self care for me. Um, I was a, t- I'm a tennis player, basketball player, um, all growing up. So have it, playing tennis and you know just coming home and watching uh, different you know basketball, football games with my husband and spending time with family and friends. You have a lucky and, husband too. You like to watch basketball. That's my wow. favorite. Yes, we. Um, I am a hardcore Duke fan, and he <laughs> is born and raised a UNC fan. So there are two times a year that we will watch the game together and not speak for the, the entire time uh, <laughs> and then somebody's in a bad mood at the end of the night so yeah so we've done we do a lot of that um and then you know we like to travel obviously pre-covid um with you know working the 312s it was a lot easier to kind of chunk your days together and have you know time to just get away and you know go somewhere different so i think that was a big part of it and looking forward to that being able to be a thing again hopefully I soon bet. So what do you think?
0: What was the thing? Because you just mentioned something really interesting. You know, you came out of one of the top nursing programs in the country, if not the world. And um, but you said the first day you got there and all of a sudden you realized there was so much you didn't know. What do you what was the most shocking thing about the transition from nursing school to actually nursing?
1: I think just the mentality of it, um, you know, as a nursing student, even in your last semester, you know, we're really doing most of our time is in the hospitals doing those clinical hours, but you're still the student, right? There's still Mm -hmm. the person that's kind of in charge of the patient. And, you know, even when you when you first graduate and start, you're on orientation. um, But all of a sudden, you are the person. (laughs) Um, And so that was all that was just always really interesting to me then I mean obviously the nice thing with nursing is that you really never are alone and there's always so many people you can ask and and go to for help but you know those are you know that's your patient and when you're charting it's your name that's showing up on there and you're pulling out the medications under your name and just the time management piece I think was was really really big Um, especially in um, in bone marrow we our unit gave one of the highest numbers of medications daily than any other unit in the hospital, adults, pediatrics, just because of everything these kiddos were on. So trying to figure out you have, you know, a central line that has three little lines that can go in and you have, you know, sometimes eight, 10, 12 different, you know, channels of things you're trying to program and what can go with what, and this med is not compatible with this medication. So flushing in between and Mm -hmm. yeah, you get really good at managing the, Why are there,
0: you, you mentioned that there are an extraordinarily high number of medications in bone marrow. Is that because of the interaction with the immune system? What is it about bone marrow that requires so many medications?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, at different phases of the transplant, they're at different, um, you know, different points, but initially we're trying to wipe out basically their their entire immune system. Um, and so when you wipe out an entire immune system, obviously, there is nothing really left to fight anything Colds. Wait, wait, anything.
0: wait, 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 <laughs> you're trying to make these kids well by wiping out their immune system? Hello, yes.
1: um, sounds super backwards. Um, What's that about? So the you know, the thought behind it um, in you know, what they're you know, now um, stem cell transplants is that you really need to get everything pretty much to a neutral spot so that when you, you know, um, introduce these stem cells, that's what the body's picking up is new, because we don't want the body to recognize their old cells, because that's what was making them sick. Um, yeah. So you have to get rid of all of the things. Um, so yeah, we always say, you know, kiddos get, get a whole lot worse before they get better. Um, but then mm. they turn that corner and you see, you know, their system starting to kick back in and, yeah, it's a it's a very crazy wild process.
0: I have to tell you that I have several friends who um Miguel, one of whom you know really yes. well, um but also several other friends who have had children who've had serious serious medical problems and the thing they always talk about is the nurses. They always talk about there's always one nurse or maybe two that they know by name, that they remember, that they're still in touch with. It's really You must have a great network of friends from your job because I'm pretty sure a lot of the families do they keep in touch with you
1: yeah um you know in the with all you have all like the social media and all of you know those policies that are you know that are tough and the whole HIPAA all of that but um yeah I think you know once they still are around and you know you find ways to um to keep in touch and yeah it's been really cool um, now, especially being now that I'm away from Duke, um, and able to kind of connect a little bit more um, with some patients and just kind of seeing where they're at now and how well they're doing. And yeah. Um, so when you're actually when you're working at a
0: hospital, you have to be careful, keeping in yeah. touch because there's confidentiality. Sure. Yep. Matters. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that's another thing that's difficult. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow,
1: yeah really complicated. Those, yeah. They, you know, you leave and you hope you know, you obviously want to see them again, but you don't want to see right. them again in that setting. Cause you don't, that means they're, <laughs> you know, they're back in there. So
0: exactly. Wow. Amazing. So why, why did you decide to make the transition to mental health away from physical more to the mental side?
1: Yeah. Um, it became pretty apparent pretty early in my nursing career. Um, how much mental health really plays into physical health. You saw it you know, in the ICUs in bone marrow, um, kids that are there for long periods of times, um, and losing so much of their childhood at different stages. We had, you know, teenagers, the four and five-year-olds, both very different ages and experiencing very different things. Um, but still kind of going back to that mental health piece. Um, and then during my nurse practitioner program, um, Duke is actually one of the first pediatric programs in the country to have a behavioral mental health track. Um, that mm-hmm. was um, funded by a grant, and so I was able to get accepted into that part of the program. And yeah, I just really like working with that population. I think it's there's always um, something different, and it's kind of nice being in the outpatient setting. My whole background before was acute care, um, so mental health really kind of gives me the acuity um, while also being able to kind of have more of that life balance in the outpatient side. Um, and then even from the day to day, part of the job, the first part of my, my mornings are spent in our partial hospital program, um, where we have kids that are either stepping up, um, and trying to keep them out of inpatient hospitalizations for different mental illnesses, or they're coming right out of a inpatient stay. So they're with Mm -hmm. us Monday through Friday, nine to three. So we have them for a good chunk of their day. And I get a lot of my acuity there. And then in my afternoons, I go to my office um, clinic and then have more of the kids who, um, just kind of needing some check-ins. And so, yeah, it's a really great balance and always something new. There's a huge need for, um, mental health. I've seen it in my caseload in the last six months. And so for those of us who aren't
0: as medically educated as you, when you say acuity, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think In the medical field, you know, are the hospitals are kind of the highest level of um, I guess just needs in general. They're um, kind of when you're in the hospital, obviously, that's kind of when you're at your at your sickest and need kind of the most support. um, And also, you know, more of the intense nursing pieces there, whereas outpatient, you know, kind of like, you know, you and I going in for doctor's visits, things like that. overall pretty well, just kind of needing those um, point of care kind of check ins. Um, And then our, our middle ground is kind of what we have with that partial hospital kind of in between, um, you know, trying to reacclimate, you know, kiddos back in to the outpatient world or try to, you know, do what we can to keep them from having to be admitted into an inpatient.
0: Wow. So you also mentioned something that is really important the connection between mental health and physical health and also that the program that's really studying that at duke is the first one that's really like formally recognized and and was funded that is so interesting to me because as a lay person it seems pretty clear to me that there's a huge connection between how you feel about yourself in the world and 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 your health right mm-hmm. So how come that's just becoming noticed in the formal medical world? What do you think that is? Yeah,
1: um, I think, you know, not even just in the medical world, but just overall, yeah, people are now I really think that a big part of it is just that stigma that's been over mental health for such a long time Okay. Um, in the country in the world. um, People now are really just now starting to talk about it. um, And say yes, like I have depression or I have anxiety and I'm still able to do these things. Um, But this is also a big part of, you know, who I am and how this affects me. Um, It's interesting, because when I will do when I do admissions um, at our partial hospital, we go over family history. And, um, you know, we kind of talk about you just see the progression, we'll say, you know, with grandparents, and the parents will be like, well, you know, no one ever really talked about that with my parents generation. And then, you know, our like, 40, 50 year olds are kind of like, yeah, it was starting to kind of be a thing, but not as much. And now like our teenagers are like, yeah, like we know what this is. And they're such great advocates for themselves. And um, it's just really oh, wild, cool. just in like 60, That's 70 years. Great. Yeah. Yes, it's amazing to see how educated they're getting, you know,
0: for the kids that come in to see you, some of them walk in and say, okay, like, I'm feeling depressed and I need to be on medication. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Some of them that's can so name so cool. it. Some of it are, they, you know, they're kind of like, you know, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. I don't know what this is, but even them just being able to like admit that and talk about It's just such a huge, um, and know that thing. it's not
0: something wrong with them yes. as a person. Yeah. This yes. is like, you have a cold, except it's in your mental health system.
1: Yeah. Yes. That's what right. I, that's my big line with all of our kiddos is kind of, um, I just say you know this is nothing that you did wrong this is nothing your family did wrong this is you know it's a chemical imbalance that's you know scientifically what what it is and it's nothing that you did to make that happen um it's just something yeah. that we can work to help get better like we would for any other thing that was going on that's so
0: great that makes me really happy to know that that change really is happening. I think that's huge. And and you should feel great because you're obviously have been a big part of that change happening in the world. So wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> I'm meeting a mental health care hero right here. <laughs> you know, and I think the other, I'll say the other really big thing too, that I think has been helping our kiddos is that people like celebrities are now coming out and talking about, you know, their struggles with mental health. Um, one of my, um, favorite people, um, is, um, Patty Miran. She is a Broadway star and she yeah, um, is open, so open about her anxiety and depression about how she's had to call out of shows. And she talks about it um, openly. I've had interviews. I've showed, um, some of my kiddos when they come in some of her interviews and we kind of use her as a, you know, yes, you can have these things, but you can also be a huge Broadway star and be successful. And um, I've been able to kind of talk with her a few times and just have those conversations with Patty. and she's just a wonderful advocate and yeah. That's so it's such a cool great
0: methodology. Did you, did you come up with that on your own? Because that's like, that's such a great way to bridge the gap between the theoretical world and the real world, especially for young people, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, pretty innovative. That's great. We have a
1: lot of, a lot of our kiddos come in and they're really big into, you know, theater and, and musical. So yeah, it was just a um, pretty easy, easy bridge.
0: Easy for you. Excellent. Maybe not easy for other people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if you saw this, but um, I think you may have, there was just a really big development in the art world around nursing. Did you see what happened with Banksy? I did not yet know. He just sold a piece of art that celebrates nurses as heroes for, I think, $23 million Yes, last that's week. Right. I did see that. Yes. Wow. Wild. That's <laughs> amazing. That's so cool. How does it make you feel that people are starting to recognize the value of nurses?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's... I think it's great. I think um nurses, we all my nursing friends and I always have kind of joked 2020 before everything even happened was coined like the year of the nurse. And so now we're all kind of joking, like, all right, 2021, like don't bring us nurses into this, like we're good, like you don't need to honor us in this way. Yeah. We had fun twenty (laughs) twenty. Yes, this is not the way we wanted this to go. But yeah you know i think it's it's great just seeing i mean healthcare workers in general you know i love the recognition that nurses are getting um i my best friend is a um, respiratory therapist and Mm -hmm. just all of the people who also support nursing you and then even i mean your your housekeeping staff and just there's so many people in the medical settings that make it work that you know your doctors and nurses are you know, the ones that are kind of on the front and that everyone knows about, but it's all of these other people are social workers um, that are kind of right there on the front lines, supporting us and, you know, being making it so we can do what we need to do. How many people do you think it takes kind of
0: bridging on what you were just saying? So if a, a young person comes in and they need to have inpatient care for whatever reason, right. By the time they're released, How many people do you think have actually contributed to that person's recovery on average? I mean, I don't know if there is an average, it probably really depends on what they're in for, but
1: yeah. Oh gosh. So many, so many, um, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, just even thinking just before they even get to the unit, they encounter the people who are doing like the valet parking and the admission check-ins, um, people at the front desk who are letting them into the unit like even before we even get our bone marrow transplant kids there before they're admitted they have an entire workup outside of transplants they we have an entire pre-admission team that was meeting with them which was like you know multiple people in itself um and then every day you know there's occupational therapy speech therapy physical therapy the chaplains social workers child life nurses doctors residents students fellows nurse managers um and then those are just your cores and then you have you know your cardiology all your specialty people who all come with their own you know team of people um
0: so it could be like hundreds or thousands yeah it's wild yeah that's amazing you think it strengthens your faith in humanity to work in a hospital
1: yeah i think so um yeah i think any um you know, team setting like that. And, you know, a lot of times, yeah, I think, you know, kind of about the hospital, but now, um, also seeing my team now, um, you know, I'm kind of the only medical person right now, we're just, you know, as a small company that's growing. Um, but the people I have around me, I could not do my job without, I have my therapists and our, um, our group leaders and my, you know, my director, my assistant director, everybody just kind of in that the smaller it is, the more you have to come together as a team. And I think we're really seeing that. Um, And yeah, I mean, in the hospitals too, I think just seeing how people are coming together for kind of the common good um, is pretty cool to see. Yeah.
0: What do you think as we hopefully start to emerge from this crisis, one never knows. What do you think, are going to be some of the more difficult mental health issues for young people coming out of the crisis.
1: Yeah, um, I kind of look at it in, for the younger kids in two different groupings of kids. I have like my younger elementary kids and then my high school kids for my younger elementary kids, um, I you know personally have I have a niece who is in first grade this year and I have a nephew who's in kindergarten. Um, and my niece addison will go into second grade next year and really will have only been in an actual school normal for maybe three months by the time she goes into second grade which is just wild um she they just started going back full time and she will um call and tell me just how excited she is to be back in school and it's this whole novel thing and i'm like you're almost in second grade and like it's just like the first day of school again and my nephew um, will go into first grade and will have never stepped into a school before because um, his entire kindergarten has been virtual. Wow. Um, so I think for your younger kids, just, yeah, I think it'll just be very interesting to see kind of the patience and having to reintegrate um, into reteaching them almost like what normal school is. Um, and then my high schoolers, um, they've kind of gone through both sides of it. They knew what normal was and what's you know their social circles were and then that was all just ripped away from them and that's why I'm seeing so many high schoolers now and we talk about this all the time I talked with one of them yesterday I said nothing about your life right now is normal I said your job as a teenager is to like be fostering those social relationships and be in school and do all of that and you can't do any of it and just like in the blink of an eye it was like ripped away from them so their feelings of isolation and anxiety and all of that have just exponentially grown. So I think that's going to be a, a big thing for them too. What can we do to
0: help? I mean, just regular people who happen to have, if you happen to have a young person in your life and you're speaking to them via zoom or on the phone or something, is there anything that you could recommend that might try to do to just lighten their load a little?
1: Yeah. I just think, um, you know, patience and communication, that's a big thing we talk about with all of our families is just, you know, taking time to talk with your kids and um, talk as a family about what's going on and having that open line of communication and, you know, for them to know that um, even if, you know, parents and kids, they're not always going to agree on everything, but knowing, you know, as the adult that, you um, they are still there to listen and kind of be accepting of whatever, you know, conversations the, the kids are wanting to have, um, I think is so huge. And technology, um, cell phones, all of that, all of that stuff has kind of interrupted, you know, those family, you go out to eat um, or, you know, when we were, you know, able to be in restaurants and you'd look, kind of look around and everybody in the family is at the table, but they're all on their cell phones. And we're like, are they really like eating dinner together? Um So, yeah, I think just, putting that stuff away and just being able to, you know, have those really open, honest conversations with, um, with your kids is such a big missing piece right now. That's really important. Thank you for bringing that up. Also, if people, um,
0: aren't in your immediate area and they want to find assistance for their teenage kids in particular, sounds like it's Mm going to be a really big deal. What would you recommend in terms of finding care?
1: Usually, we would kind of recommend just starting with their primary care providers. Okay. Um, primary care doctors um, sometimes can start, you know, treating initially, but they have really good re- local referrals for, um, right. You know, places in the area that they know of. Um, we have, you know, we're kind of in communication with all of our local providers, so they know, you know, how to refer to us and us, you know, back to them things like that. So um, yeah, just kind of using the network that they have. And otherwise, I mean, just online searches, um, different websites kind of have listings of, you know, different people available in, you know, certain areas, I think that's really good, too. And do you think that virtual um, mental health care visits are
0: helpful? Because I know some people are still pretty um, risk averse, in terms of going to see someone, especially for talk therapy? Do you think that that's helpful?
1: I think it can be. Yeah, Um, it's kind of nice with um, my patients right now, I kind of give them the option. Um, I am doing in person visits again. um, But I'm also, you know, happy to do virtual visits. And it's kind of um, whatever they're most comfortable with. Some people really like having the convenience of the virtual um, appointments, especially, you know, now with kids at home for school, and mom and dad have to work at home. And that way, they can just kind of pop on the computer where they're at and still get access to that same care i think is great. Um mm-hmm. some of my, you know, kiddos really do like that in person. They need to kind of be in the same room with the person and that's, you know, great too. But i think the virtual world has really opened up a whole different um, you know, path of reaching people which has been great.
0: That's amazing. Well, listen, i know that you don't have enough time to yourself as it is, so I don't want to take <laughs> any more of what little time you have away. Yeah. But I so appreciate um, you making the time to speak today and it was really great to have you join the
1: conversation. Thank you, it's great, it great to be here and thank you for everything y'all are doing. Thank you for everything yeah. you're doing.
0: <laughs> thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, Stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together, and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid.